Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus 40. That's where we'll begin this morning. How much time do I have? When, when do we stop? No, 15 after. 15 after. Okay. Thank you. Back to basics. That's what we're talking about this week. It's really a series of lessons that have to do with some first principle ideas. And I want to encourage you to not let that turn your ears off. Well, we know all that. We've heard those lessons before. Perhaps you have. But there's others here who likely have not. And so it's good to be reminded of these things, and it's good for us to hear these things for the first time, if that applies to you. I'm doing a lot more preaching on doctrinal matters in the meetings that I'm doing and in my home congregation. And I'm doing that because of some trends that I have seen and conversations that I've had with fellow preachers and elders in, in the various churches that I've visited for meetings and so forth. It seems like we are getting away from some of those things, some of those first principle lessons, uh, because we have this assumption, well, everybody knows that. When in reality, we have a number of people, especially in our home congregation in South Carolina, who have never been exposed to some of these ideas before, or if they have, it's been a long time since they've heard them. And so I'm going back and I am revisiting some of these topics, and I'm doing that even in a way that perhaps I've never done it before. I'm trying to put a, a new packaging on the presentation of this idea. And so there might be some things this week that we talk about that you might say, yeah, I've never thought about it that way before. But the point is the same thing that I've always heard trying to reach people where they are. And I may have some more things to say about that a little bit later in the week. I want to start off with a couple of charts. It's the exact same chart that's presented, but we're going to look at two different things in this chart. So on the one hand, let's, let's talk about the moral situation in our country and in the world. So on this axis, you have the ethical standards that men could possibly attain to. And I want you to notice that, that it's rounded off at the top. It's not an arrow. It doesn't continue into perpetuity. Uh, it stops because there is a pinnacle when you think about ethical standards. The highest standards possible are those that are given to us in the word of God. We can't go any higher than that. On the other axis is the passage of time. And so as cultures continue to exist and civilizations come along throughout history, generation after generation, they have to determine what is going to be our ethical standard. Now, throughout all of this time, the Bible remains unchanged. And those who choose to follow God and follow his word, that is the standard. It is the highest standard that is possible to follow. And that is the one that, that those who seek to honor God will stick to. But culture has seasons where it moves away from God's standard. And this will ebb and flow over time. 
so you can probably think uh, of a time in our country where, where people followed God's standards of morality fairly closely. You might think about the 1950s or, or maybe the 1960s, and, and maybe that's where some of the diversions started, maybe in the late 60s. Uh, but there was at least this acknowledgement that God's ways are best, that the Bible is from God, the Bible is true, and we should probably live by the morals of the Bible standard. And yet culture has moved away from that. But what's interesting about this is that as culture moves farther and farther away from the biblical standard— God's people have continued keeping that same standard that we find in the word of God, and yet the culture looks at us as God's people and says that we are the ones who are living radically. We are the ones who are radical in our views of morality, and we're saying, oh, wait a minute, we haven't moved here. You are the ones who have moved away from what was once considered culturally the norm. Now, let's look at this same chart, but let's move away from moral standards, and let's think about adherence to Scripture, adherence to the Word of God. Adherence to biblical doctrines and teaching is on this first axis, and then again, the passage of time is on the bottom. Now, once again, the Bible doctrine remains unchanged because the Bible itself has remained unchanged unchanged. The Bible that you hold in your hands is the same words that Moses gave to Israel 3,500 years ago. It's the same words that the apostles gave, that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. The Bible remains unchanged, and yet there has always been digressions away from biblical doctrine. And You can look throughout church history, and you can see various digressions that have taken place, and yet once again, Adherence to biblical doctrine will wane over time as people will move away from God's standards, and yet the standard that God gave remains unchanged. Back on June the 1st of this year, I was in a coffee shop, which is uh, somewhere that you are very likely to find me. And as I was leaving the coffee house, I was going out the door, and right by the door was the community bulletin board. And this is where the coffee shop allows businesses and individuals to put their flyers or their business cards or whatever. And as I was walking by, I saw this flyer posted on the bulletin board. And uh, I don't know if you can read this, but at the top, it says that the Greenville Gay Men's Chorus was going to be performing at First Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, I was curious about this, and if you can see the date, it says that this was on June the 2nd. So I, I, I noticed, hey, I'm, today's June the 1st, so this performance is tomorrow night. I want to find out more about this performance. I want to see what's going on here. So I tried calling the church. This was a Thursday. Nobody answered. I called several times on that Thursday, and Nobody answered the phone. But on Friday, the day of the performance, I called back. And this time, I got an answer. And I was speaking to a gentleman whom I, I presume was the secretary. And I said, hey, I'm just a curious citizen. I want to know more about what's going on with your performance tonight. I have some questions. Be happy to answer your questions, he said. So I started asking what is the 
age range for this? I mean, is, is there a, a certain age that's considered too young or, or what, what? No, 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 this is, this is open for everybody. Anybody can come. So e- even children can come to this. Oh, yes, we, we encourage young children to come to this. So, okay, interesting. So start asking a few more questions, finding out more. Because I'm already thinking, as, as preachers do, when you see a flyer like this, you know a sermon starts coming, right? See, I'm preaching on this soon. And I didn't want to misrepresent this group, so I wanted to find out more. So finally, I got to the question I really wanted to ask. And I said, sir, would you describe your church as a Bible-preaching church? Oh, yes, he said. Yes, we teach the Bible and the Bible only. So what do you do then with all of these clear biblical passages that explicitly condemn homosexual behavior? You know, sir, that is a great question. Let me transfer you over to our senior pastor. I said, great, I'd love to talk to your senior pastor about that. Transfers me over, goes straight to voicemail. I'm sure it was a, you know, hey, pastor, don't answer the phone, right? Now, don't leave here thinking, that this is the direction that Baptist churches are going. It's not. This is an anomaly. This church has a history of being extremely progressive in our area. 95% of Baptist churches, I would say, would never host a group like this. But I'm using this to illustrate what we saw on those earlier charts. Biblical standard has remained consistent throughout and yet there are digressions away as culture changes. Religious groups are trying to become more accommodative. Now, I wonder if this has ever happened to you before. Have you ever been having a discussion with someone about culture or about a religious doctrine? And it becomes very apparent as you're talking with them that the two of you are not on the same page. You are are, are approaching this issue from very different places. And because of that, you're coming to very different conclusions. I've been thinking about why this happens. And I think sometimes the reason this happens is because our starting points are very different. So this cultural matter, usually it comes in the form of a political issue. Or or maybe this religious matter that we have, but we're talking about, well, my church and the place where you go to church and how we understand things and what we do in our worship or something like that. We are approaching this issue from two different places. There are many people who come to these disagreements and they see them as simply matters of preference or opinion or judgment. Well, this, this is just, uh, listen, I mean, I like chocolate, you like vanilla, but at the end of the day, it's still ice cream. It's just a matter of preference. And yet for you and me, we're saying, no, wait a minute. This is not a matter of preference. There, there's something more substantive and fundamental here. This is a matter of principle. Uh, There is a principle here that must be followed and must be understood. That's why I can't do what you do. That's why I can't go where you are going. 
But because we're starting at two completely different points, we end up talking past each other. We don't have the same underlying assumptions. And so we never come together on these matters. And I think this is at least partly a contributing factor to these differences. So you and I believe that there is a principle at play. When we think about cultural and religious matters, there is a principle at play that we believe, and I think the Bible teaches us that we should believe this, is very important. So what is that principle? This is gonna be the most anticlimactic moment of the week, all right? So I'm, I'm just, I'm giving you a warning right now. There's a very simple principle that you and I believe, and the principle is this. Anything that God has said, we must do. I told you it was anticlimactic. You've known that since you were a child, right? But here's what's interesting about this. This principle, do as you have been instructed. We understand this principle in every aspect of life. And we use this principle in every aspect of life every day. And yet when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to religious matters, we somehow act like this is a foreign concept. So let's say you're sick and you go to the doctor. And the doctor examines you and the doctor says, you have this illness, here's what we're gonna give you. I'm gonna give you this medicine. It was designed to treat this illness. I'm sending it in to your pharmacist right now. So you go to the pharmacy to pick up your prescription. What would you do if the pharmacist came out and he said, listen, I know that your doctor says you have this illness and he prescribed you this medicine. But listen, I've got this other medicine over here that was designed and created to treat something completely different, but I really think it's gonna work for you. What would you say to that? (laughs) You would say, okay, you're not my doctor. My doctor examined me and determined that this is what I need. I really would just like for you to fill the prescription. In other words, do as you've been instructed. If our pharmacist pushed back on that idea, we would find a new pharmacist. When you sit down at the restaurant to order, or you go through the drive-thru, and you say, I want a hamburger with cheese and mustard and ketchup and whatever. You order what you want to eat. But when you pull up to the window, what would you do if the worker at the restaurant comes out and says, listen, I know you ordered a hamburger. Let me tell you, our hot dogs, they're the best in town. And we've got some that just came out fresh. I'm gonna give you a hot dog instead. You see, this principle, do what you've been instructed to do, we get it. We apply it in every sphere of life. And yet, when you and I take that principle to the scripture, you're a legalist. How dare you look at God's word like that? How dare you suggest that God has told us plainly in his word what he wants us to do and we should obey it? How can you approach the Bible like that? 
And yet that's how we approach life. We get it. But for some reason, religious matters are different. So where does this principle come from? Can I give you some scripture to support this idea? Exodus 40. The last several chapters of Exodus are all about the construction of the tabernacle. And God gives very precise details about how he wants that tabernacle to be constructed, and he gives those details to Moses. In Exodus chapter 40, I want you to notice a repeated expression that we see in this chapter. Verse 16 is where we will begin. Thus Moses did... According to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Verse 19, he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 21, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see it again in verse 23, verse 25, 27, 29, 32. Time and time again, you see that expression, just as the Lord commanded Moses, that's what Moses did. Isn't Moses living out the principle? Do what God instructed you to do. And when Moses does all of this, when everything is finished, look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Do you think that God's presence would have come into the tabernacle? That God's glory would have filled the tabernacle? Do you think God would have done that if he's given Moses all of these detailed instructions and Moses says, no, I got a better way. I know a better way to do it that would be a lot simpler, it'd be a lot easier. Now, knowing what you and I know about the God of the Bible, what do you think the answer to that question is? All right, let's look at another example. Let's go to Leviticus chapter eight. Leviticus chapter eight. You remember the story of Nadab and Abihu, and that's in Leviticus chapter 10. We'll get there. But in order to understand this story, we really need to start in chapter eight. Leviticus chapter eight begins to explain the process of the consecration of the priests, Aaron, the high priest, and his sons. And there are a number of things that are done, number of rituals and ceremonial things that are done for Aaron and his sons to go through this ceremonial process. But I want you to notice in chapter 8, verse 4, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. Verse five, Moses says to the congregation, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Verse nine, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Ben, all right, we we get it. We're starting to see it. Like, are are you really gonna take us through chapter eight and chapter nine and show us every single time? Yes, I am, all right? So let's keep going. Verse 13, you see it again. Verse 17, Verse 21, verse 29, verse 31, verse 34, verse 35, and 36, 
And that's just chapter eight. Aaron and his sons are there with Moses who is receiving this instruction from God and he is explaining this, he's giving this instruction. Aaron and his sons are right there listening, observing all of this. Chapter nine, verse five. They took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. Verse six, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do. The end of verse seven, just as the Lord commanded. Verse 10, verse 16, a little bit different. It says that they they offered it according to the ordinance. Different wording, but it's exactly the same idea. They did what God instructed. Verse 21, just as Moses had commanded. Okay, you've seen that expression now 574 times. That's not by mistake. That expression is there to catch our attention. And Moses does everything that God has instructed him to do. Aaron is going through this process as God has instructed. And I want you to notice something that happens at the end of chapter nine. Verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. When God's people did what God instructed, fire came out from the presence of God and burned up the burnt offering. God accepted what the people had offered. Now come into chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord. Notice this next expression. Which he had not commanded them. In chapter nine, 18 times, Chapters eight and nine, 18 times you see that expression, which the Lord commanded. Now you see something that God had not commanded being done. And when Nadab and Abihu disobey God's instructions and they offer strange fire, this time fire comes out from the presence of the Lord, not to consume the burnt offering like it did in chapter nine, not showing God's acceptance and approval, but fire comes out from the presence of the Lord in verse two and consumes Nadab and Abihu and they died on the spot. In the worship hour, we're gonna talk about this chapter again, this text, we're gonna notice a different point. But I want you to see, they did what they were not instructed to do. You see that simple principle? Do what God's commanded. This is not a difficult concept, is it? 
All right, what about this one? You know this story. First Chronicles chapter 13, this is the story about Uzzah. Uzzah, who will not read the, the story, but Uzzah, remember, reached up and, and touched the Ark of the Covenant because it was in danger of falling off the trailer that they had put it on when they were transporting it. So in First Chronicles chapter 13, this, this is the instance where that event happens. David wants to transport the ark. Now, there, there were three simple rules about the ark of the covenant. The, the first rule was this, carry it on your shoulders. You put poles through the rings on the corners of the ark and you carry it on your shoulders. The second rule was that only a certain group of people were supposed to carry it on their shoulders, the sons of Kohath, who was one of the sons of Aaron. A certain group of priests carry the furniture from the tabernacle. And the third rule was never, ever touch the ark. Now, we look at this story about Uzzah and we say, what's the big deal? I mean, the ark was falling off the trailer because the oxen that was pulling it stumbled and Uzzah was just trying to help. He, he didn't want to see the, the footstool of God fall to the ground. And so he's trying to help and he's trying to do a good thing. Now, I don't think there's any doubt that Uzzah's intentions were good. But the problem with this story is, this is not just Uzzah breaking rule number three. Because the fact is, in this story, they've broken all three rules in one episode. Let's put it on that trailer and let the oxen pull it so we don't have to carry it. They've broken every rule that God gave about this. And Uzzah suffered the penalty for it. But if you look at chapter 15, I want you to notice what David has to say about this. Chapter 15 and verse 13, David says to the priests, because, chapter 15, verse 13, because you did not carry it at the first the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. We did not do as God instructed. So in verse 15, the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. They went back they looked at what Moses said about this furniture and they realized, hey, we didn't obey God's instruction when we tried to move it before. Maybe we should do it God's way this time. I'm gonna skip over this next passage from Nehemiah chapter eight because I may be talking about that later in the week. But let's look at a New Testament passage. You might be thinking, hey, look, I get your point, but these are all Old Testament, right? Well, let's get a New Testament passage. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul has been talking in this chapter about the Corinthian worship assemblies and their misuse and their abuse of spiritual gifts. So Paul is setting those things in order to make sure that their worship services are conducted properly and in a dignified way. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 37. 
If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. The Lord's commandment. If you are inclined to disagree with me, if you think you know better than me, Paul says, you need to understand that what I am saying to you is the Lord's commandment. This is from God. And so take it up with him if you disagree about whether or not you should follow these instructions. You see, you and I bring this principle. We must do what God has said. We bring this principle into every facet of our lives. What does the Bible say about that? That's what I'm gonna do. We bring that into our church and religious life and the way that we worship and the way that we do the work and the service of God. We bring this into our homes. Well, what kind of parent should I be? Well, what does God tell me about that? What kind of husband or wife should I be? Well, what does the Bible say about that? What kind of citizen in this country should I be? The Bible says something about that. You see, this principle affects every dimension of your life as it should. But not everybody has this principle as the underlying assumption of their life like you do. Not everybody approaches these issues of cultural and political and religious and domestic life with that same approach. So let's talk a little bit then about God's commands. If this principle is right, that, that we must do what God has instructed us to do, we need to talk a little bit then about God's commands and our understanding of them. There are some commands that God gives that have an obvious spiritual value to them. We see it from the moment our eyes read the words. So we read in our Bibles that the early church came together on the first day of the week and they worshiped together and they sang songs together and they prayed together and they, they listened to the word of God being taught and they broke bread together and so forth. We read that and we see the, the obvious value of that. It's good that God's people should come together on a regular basis and worship together and encourage each other and be fed from the word of God. And, and we, we see the benefit of that. And there are other commands that God has given that have an obvious spiritual value. There are some commands that have a, a clear, obvious moral value. And this is true of both Old and New Testaments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We see the value of that. We see the logic and the rationale of that. We understand, well, my life will be better if I follow this moral instruction. And there are all kinds of commands of a moral nature that God gives that we see the benefit of very clearly. These commands, the ones that obviously make sense to us are not the challenging ones. But sometimes God gives us commands and we don't know why he gave them. 
we don't know what the value is. It doesn't make any sense to us. It, it might even seem arbitrary or contrived. I'll give you a moment just to think of commands in scripture that might fall into this category. Commands that, I don't know why God said that. You can go back to the Old Testament. You can find dozens of these. Dozens of them. How about this one? Clean versus unclean foods. Why is it that God's greatest gift to the culinary world, bacon, was an unclean food? Why? You can go read all of the commentaries on Leviticus that you want to read, and you know what you'll find? Nobody has a clue. All of the commentaries differ as to why certain foods are clean, certain foods are unclean. I think there are some commentaries that get a little bit closer than others. But that command, seemingly to us, has no great value. It doesn't make sense. It's not obvious as to why God would give that particular set of instructions. And yet, where does God say to Israel, listen, you only have to obey the instructions that make sense. You only have to follow the instructions that make logical, rational thought and make it coherent to you. You only have to follow those. He doesn't say that anywhere, does he? And I can see someone like Nadab and Abihu saying, listen, we've just gone through this seven-day consecration process where we've been given all these explicit and detailed instructions about how to do this priestly service thing. But you know what? Fire is fire. What difference does it make? I mean, it's hot, it burns. The incense will still smell the same. What difference does it make if we go get fire from another source or whatever? Well, apparently it made a big difference. Or, or can you hear the Israelites saying, listen, Moses, when Moses gave that instruction, that ark, that box, it's solid wood and it's overlaid with gold. Listen, that thing is heavy. Why don't we put it on a cart and let the oxen bear the load so that we don't have to hurt ourselves trying to carry that thing so far? What difference does it make? The ark is being moved one way or the other. Really, what is the value of carrying the ark on your shoulders? Wouldn't it be simpler to do things this other, better way? Well, apparently not. And Uzzah died because those instructions of God were not followed. But listen, I want to tell you this. This is important. Just because God's commands seemingly have an unknown value, 
meaning we don't understand it and why God gave it, that doesn't mean there is no value to it. We understand this with our kids, especially when they're small. We say to our kids, hey, don't do that, whatever that is. Don't do that. Why? You're five years old. You have no idea what all is involved in the reasons as to why I said don't do that. As an adult, you know the reasons. You know all the complexity that comes involved with your instruction. A five-year-old doesn't get that. So what do we resort to? Because I said so. Obey your parent. Now to the child, I don't know why mom won't let me touch that. I don't know why dad won't let me do this. To them, the value of the command is unknown. But to you, the parent, you know, and you could list 17 reasons why you gave that command, but you know that a five-year-old's not gonna get it. You think God ever does that with us? You think there are things that God knows that even if he told us, we wouldn't understand it? And so he gives us this command that seems to be arbitrary. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And we say, God, why do you want me to do that? And he says, because I said so, because I'm God and you're not. Now, I think I'm running out of time. So let me, let me just close with this idea. What I have just shared with you in this lesson, do as we have been instructed, do it whether it makes good sense to us or not. There's a lot of people in the religious world and there is for sure a lot of people in the secular world who would look at you and me and everything that I've just said this morning and they would say, oh, you cute little simpletons. We elites, we educated, we know better, we're smarter than this. You just keep on going with your simple little faith and thumping your Bible and saying, thus saith the Lord. Listen, if people are saying that to you or if someone ever says that to you, then praise be to God. Praise be to God that you are being mocked and ridiculed by people who don't know the God of the Bible. Thank you much. Appreciate your attention this morning.